Good morning. I kind of felt it. I really wanted to give Daniel a hand. So would you give me a, join me and give him a hand for just sharing? Um, I too, I love partnering with you, Daniel, and I love partnering with what this church is able to do by the generosity of uh, those who are invested here at DSBC. I also want to say that if you are newer, newer to, D, uh, to DSBC, uh, we're happy to share that letter with you. If you're not on our mailing list, you can just email info at dsbc.church and we'll get a copy of it to you so you can see, again, a little bit more about who we really are before maybe you decide if you want to be part of the, the church family here. So for those of you who don't know me, uh, and as, Kay- as Daniel referred to me a couple times, I'm Dawn. I'm one of the ministers here at DSBC, and I am excited to be giving, sharing the message with you today. Today we are going to be in uh, Mark chapter 8. We have been for several months going through the gospel of Mark together, and so today we're going to continue that. And I just need to give you a couple quick warnings. First of all, this morning we are going to be talking a lot about bread. A lot. I'm not kidding. Like a lot about bread. And so if you are on one of those diets that, that, you know, you're not doing bread right now, I'm really sorry because every time I say bread, I think about bread. So I'm imagining this might be a little bit difficult for you. Or maybe if you didn't have breakfast this morning, you're starving. Um, Again, I'm sorry. But The good news is, is that directly after service, even the 9.30 service, as Lacey shared, our student ministry will be sharing tacos with you. So if you can hold on for just a little bit, um, you, and if your stomach is grumbling, just let it know we're going to make it. It's going to be okay. So as we've been going through this series, we've been really pointing out that when uh, this book of Mark was written, it was written to a specific group of people, an ancient group of people, the early church. And what we know about the early church is that paper, pens, highlighters, books were not readily available to most of the people who would have been wanting to hear this story, this uh, book of Mark. And so we just want to remind us that to picture ourselves with our ancient church and hearing these words and not having the resources that we have today. So one of the things that we've been doing is at the beginning of the message, just reading through the passage so we can practice uh, being those receivers of those words. And maybe we might notice or hear something a little bit different than maybe would have heard when we were, or read when we were kind of in that study mode, right? Um, So let's, we're going to get ready to read the book of Mark, or I'm sorry, not the whole book, Caleb tells you all the time, go home and read your whole Bible. You're, you're welcome to. Um, it, just know that those, the hearers, the original hearers, would have most likely heard the whole book in one setting. And so, Mark, because that could be a long time of listening to these words, I think I read somewhere that to read through all of Mark would have been about two and a half hours. And so he used a lot of repeated words. So as you're listening, um, I encourage you to not read along, but just listen as I read. And just notice maybe where some of those repeated words or repeated themes that you're hearing as I read. Okay, so this is Mark 8. In those days there was again a large crowd, and they had nothing to eat. He, that is Jesus, called the disciples and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they've already stayed with me for three days and they have nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a really long distance. His disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? 
How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked them. Seven, they said. He commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground. Taking the seven loaves, he gave thanks, he broke them, and he gave them to his disciples to set before the people. So the disciples, were, the disciples served the bread to the crowd. The disciples also had a few small fish, and after Jesus had blessed those, he said to them, he said these were to be served as well. The crowd ate, and they were satisfied. And then the disciples collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 people were there. Then Jesus dismissed them. And Jesus immediately got into a boat and with his disciples, and he went to the district of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, demanding of him a sign from heaven to test him. Sighing deeply in his spirit, Jesus said, Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then Jesus left them, got back in the boat, and went to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. Then Jesus gave them strict orders. Watch out! Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But the disciples were still discussing among themselves that they did not have any bread. Aware of this, Jesus said to them, Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes that don't see? Do you have ears that don't hear? Do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, said the disciples. And Jesus responded, when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. Then Jesus said to them, don't you understand yet? This is the word of the Lord. Now, just notice that the, the bulk of this passage is considered uh, called the feeding of the 4,000. And, but then the story refers to, at the end, Jesus refers back to uh, the feeding of the 5,000, if you, if you caught that when I was reading. And so it's interesting to me because Mark is pretty, Mark is the shortest gospel of all four gospels. So Mark is pretty stingy with his, his words. He's pretty to the point. Uh, he is very succinct. But yet, we're told there are two stories of feeding large crowds. They are cleverly named the feeding miracles. Brilliant, right? And so it's interesting to me that, that Mark would do that, to pretty much put two of the same stories in, uh, in a small amount of text. And so I think we are meant to uh, spend some time maybe comparing and comp contrasting those two stories. So that's a lot of what we're gonna do today. But first I wanna back up. Another tool that Mark uses in his writing is a tool called sandwiching, a literary tool called sandwiching, in which he takes two similar stories uh, that are, are similar at the beginning and the end of a very important story, just to help the hearers, again, to understand uh, the meat of what is going on, or if you're vegan, maybe the hummus of what is going on, right? Uh, so I just want to point out, I didn't read this, but the, the stories before and after our story today both included miracles in which Jesus healed uh, the, a deaf and a, and a mute man. So he healed the man's eyes and he healed the man's ears. 
Now, let me just ask you a question. It's really hard, so really pay attention. What are your ears used for? What's that? Hearing, right. And, and what are your eyes used for? Seeing, right. And so I just want to notice that in the, on both ends, the bookends of this story, Jesus heals someone who can't see, someone who can't hear. And, and we know that seeing and hearing is pretty important. So I wonder why it might be important to our story. So let's dive in. We're going to start with uh, verse 1. It says, In those days there was again a large crowd. Now I'm just going to stop us there because we notice this word again. And it's again, while this is being read to the people, they're noticing or hearing this word again, which is tying them back to that first story, that first feeding miracle um, that is referred to later in the, in the passage. So Mark wants to keep this forefront in their mind. Those days there was again a large crowd and they had nothing to eat. He, we're going to pause right there. And I forgot to tell you in the beginning, another part of something that's really important for us to notice about the two different stories. And Caleb actually talked about this back in February. So if you don't remember this sermon, uh, you're welcome to go back and listen to how he talks about the first feeding miracle. But in the first feeding miracle, they were in a land that was predominantly occupied by Jewish people. So um, the crowd was made up of all mostly Jewish people. But in this case, the chapter before were revealed that Jesus is actually now in a predominantly non-Jewish area. Uh, what sometimes the Bible will refer to has been translated to called the Gentiles. Um, but just notice that the Gentiles are not a necessarily a specific people group or a nation state, but they are just considered the ethnic other. In fact, the Greek word is ethnos. So people who are not Jewish. Got it? Okay. So the first feeding miracle was predominantly Jewish people. Now our second feeding miracle is to predominantly non-Jewish people. And I just want you to note that in ancient times, ancient religious leaders would have not had anything to do with these ethnos, these others. So it's, even that is a big deal, that Jesus is in this area and teaching these people. Okay, let's keep going. He called the disciples and he said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they were already stayed with me for three days and they've had nothing to eat. And I want to call out this word compassion. So when I read the word compassion, I think, oh, that's sad. That's kind of a bummer. You know, I wish, there was, I wish they had thought to bring food. I'm, I'm kind of, you know, sad for them. But actually, when we look back at the Greek text, we find out that this word compassion, when uh, translated, actually means gut-wrenching emotion. So Jesus is seeing this crowd, seeing that they've been with him for three days. They're, they're hungry, and, his, and he is, has this gut-wrenching emotion. I, I imagine this kind that's like, we have to do something. This is a big deal. And he goes on to kind of explain, if I send them home, they will collapse on the way, and some of them have come a very long distance. Now, there's a couple things I want to still point out in that comparison of our two feeding miracles. Uh, for one, the crowd in the very first feeding miracle was only with Jesus for the day. This crowd is with Jesus for three days. Uh, so again, there's that compassion of them being hungry and listening to him for three days. But the second thing is, is that 
that compassion Jesus talks about here, he also had in the first feeding story, but it was for a different reason. In the first feeding story, now remember, he's with predominantly Jewish people who have Jewish leaders. His compassion, he states, is because they are like sheep without a shepherd. Not about their physical hunger, but about their spiritual hunger. They are being led by shepherds, but not in a way that is giving them life. And so just notice that the predominantly Jewish community, his concern was for their spiritual state and what they're maybe receiving from their leaders. And in this case, he has been spending three days with these people who probably have never had some of this Jewish teaching. And so it's all brand new and fresh to them. So I'm just imagining that they're just excited and they just are like, tell me more. And, and not even paying attention to their physical needs. So in this case, Jesus steps in and goes, okay, wait a minute. You know, there is a, this physical thing too. You need to eat. Let's keep going. I, so his disciples answered him, where can anyone get enough bread here in this desolate place to feed these people? Let me just stop there again. Uh, in, in the first story, the disciples were the one that, to go to Jesus and say, listen, you've been teaching all day. These people are probably hungry. We need to send them home. Jesus says, I have compassion for these people because they are sheep without a shepherd. But in this case, Jesus is the one that says, hey, disciples, these people are hungry. Jesus calls out the need, not the disciples in this case. And it's interesting to me. I thought about it for just a little bit, and I thought, you know, typically my people, I'm very aware of their needs. In fact, I'm really paying attention to their needs, and it's important to me that they get their needs met. But in this case, the disciples are in a land that's not their people. And so I'm wondering if that had something to do with their just being unaware and not thinking about the other. Because it's very easy to think about our own people. But it's very difficult to think about the other. Might be just something to take away. It's something I noticed. But also reading some commentaries. Uh, some of the commentaries also mentioned that maybe Jesus was going, was saying, helping the disciples notice the need. And maybe helping them to see what he's setting them up for. Uh, so in the first one, he did this amazing miracle. And Jesus is like, okay, we got another group here. They're hungry. Wink, wink. What do, we, what do you think we should do? <laughs> and they're totally missing it. They're totally missing it. They're like, I, I don't know. Where can we get enough bread to feed all these people? <laughs> and so Jesus, I just imagine in my humanness, I, I don't know that this is what Jesus did, but in my humanness, I imagine he's just like, okay, how many loaves do you have? Let's do this again. See if you get it this time. And the disciples said, seven. So Jesus commanded the crowd to sit down on the ground, take the seven loaves. He gave thanks, he broke them, and they gave them to his disciples to set before the people. Now, did you notice there's something here that we do regularly as a church family that, God actually, or that Jesus commands us to do as a church family in remembrance of him? Does anybody know what we do? It's a little cup, these little funny things. What's that called? communion. And we do that, again, as a church family, Jesus calls us to do that, to be reminded of him. And one of the things that he says is to take, give thanks, break the bread, and give. And so again, as are our hearers, as ancient hearers of this word, you might have tied those things together again, of Jesus saying, look, 
just like I am feeding these others, these ethnic others, I, I do the same for you. You guys do this on a regular basis. In fact, uh, Jesus commands that every time you get together, take communion in remembrance of me. And so maybe the disciples got it, maybe they didn't, but what Jesus did was break the bread, give thanks, but then he also handed it to the disciples to give out. So whereas the disciples are like, we don't know what to do, Jesus is again giving to them and having them give out the abundance. He's not saying, oh, I'm so done with you guys. I'm just, let me just do it myself. I got this, right? Again, Jesus takes what maybe little we have and multiplies it so that we can give to others. So then they also had a few small fish, and after he had blessed them, he said these were to be served as well. They, the crowd, ate, and then they were satisfied. Then the disciples collected seven large baskets of leftover pieces. About 4,000 people were there, and then Jesus dismissed them. Again, here's a little, another note of that compare and contrast. Now, in both cases, both feeding miracles, there, not only does Jesus feed this massive crowd with very little resources, um, interesting that we're talking about resources today after what Daniel shared, after very little resources and he multiplies it, but then there's also leftovers. But there's something different about the leftovers. In, in this case, there are seven large baskets of leftovers. In the first case, there are 12 large baskets. And in ancient times, again, numbers actually had a greater meaning than just their numeric value. They had assigned meaning. And so for some of the commentaries, uh, the commentaries would say there were 12 baskets left over to represent the 12 tribes of Judah, or of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel. And so the Jewish people, when they were fed by the feeding miracle, there was 12 baskets left over. And in this case, uh, we're feeding the ethnic others, the Gentiles, and there's seven baskets left over. And that could mean a couple different things. It could represent how the Jewish people grouped the ethnic others. They automatically put groupings in. Or it could mean, uh, for some people, the number seven represents the number of completion in the scriptures. And so if we take that route, we can maybe take the thought that Jesus is saying, look, my sharing the good news with these others, the ones that you have rejected, the ones you've kept on the margins, this is part of my, my mission, and my mission is completed by bringing them in. It might have been something for the hearers to ponder on. The other thing I want to notice, and it's just a little thing, but as a female, um, this, is, this is just meaningful to me, uh, in the first feeding miracle, it says that there were 5,000 men, not counting women and children. And in the Jewish society, it was a very patriarchal society. And so to represent their understanding, they would have called out the men separate of the women and children. And so men, in some ways, had maybe more value. Um, they ha certainly had the power. But in this case, when Jesus is completing his mission— and he's giving this message to the others, the ones who are on the margins, the ones who are forgotten about or maybe are not as important. He says there were 4,000 people. There were 4,000 humans. All humans gathered together, equal and important and valuable. And I don't know if that was his intent. That is just my feeling. But I also know that when we read Scripture, 
The Spirit gives us these little gifts that maybe are only just for me, and maybe you get a, little, a gift that's a little bit different. And that's why reading the Bible in community can give us this bigger picture of what maybe is going on in the Scripture and in what Jesus is trying to help us to take away. So Jesus dismissed the crowd, and they move on. Then Jesus immediately got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. I don't know if that's the right way to say that, so I'm sorry. Don't repeat that to anybody. That might be smarter than me, which could be a lot. But anyway, the point is he got in the boat, his disciples, and they went over to this city that was really back to the primarily Jewish communities. And we know that because the Pharisees came and began to argue with Jesus, demanding of Jesus a sign from heaven to test him. Jesus has been doing miracles, right? We've been going through Mark. There's miracle after miracle after miracle. But these Pharisees, they're just like, we need more proof. We need more proof. And they're just arguing with him. And I love, 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 love Jesus' response. Watch this. Sighing deeply in his spirit, which I would agree with. I would do too. He's like, why? Why does this generation demand a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. Then he left them, got back in the boat, and went back to the other side. It's like, I'm out. I'm done. <laughs> like, you guys are going to keep arguing with me. You're not the people I need to talk to or want to be part of. But I also want to notice, uh, this might be a little bit confusing, and, and we recognize that reading the Bible is confusing. You're always going to find things that don't make sense. Again, this is why it's valuable to read uh, scripture in community. But it says, truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to this generation. But Jesus had just done a ton of signs, right? We saw all kinds of miracles. And we also know uh, that Jesus is headed to the cross and he's going to be raised from the dead, which is the ultimate miracle, right? So that's a little bit confusing. Does it seem like Jesus is maybe lying here? It doesn't make any sense. But actually, when we dig in a little bit, we would, we would find that these words, almost word for word, are actually found way back in the Old Testament when God drew the people out of, uh, drew the Israelites out of Egypt's captivity. And he's trying to make a nation out of them. He's trying to say, I'm your God. I'm here for you. I will not leave you. I won't forsake you. And they're just not getting it. And so God has Moses say this phrase, why do you keep demanding signs? I'm not going to give you any more signs because you're just not getting it. And the Pharisees, who were the type of the group of people who they lived in the Old Testament scriptures, that was their, that was their bread and butter. They loved every law. In fact, they created extra laws that made sense of the first laws. Like they were all about law and order. And so hearing this, we believe that the Pharisees would have been like, oh, you're, you're calling me those people? Really? We're the, we're the right ones. Why would you associate us with those, those early people who didn't know anything? It's just, again, interesting. But Jesus is done, and he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm out. <laughs> we're going back. So he goes back. But then <laughs> the sweet disciples, you know, it's really funny. I have to say this. When I was reading, it's really funny. They, some of the commentaries were like, they call these sections the dulling of the disciples. <laughs> you know, pardon, pardon me saying this, but really they're just getting dumber and dumber. Like they're with Jesus all this time and they're just getting dumb. They're just not getting it. You're just like, really? So the disciples had forgotten to take bread and had only one loaf with them in the boat. What do we have an abundance of here, people? 
we got bread, right? We got bread everywhere. We, we've got this man who can multiply the bread. And you forget the bread. And you're focused on the bread. It's kind of silly, isn't it? Don't you think? Let's keep going. But then Jesus responds, and this is even stranger. Then Jesus gives them strict orders. Watch out. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. But you know what? The disciples, they were just still discussing the fact that they didn't have any bread. It's super confusing, right? You've got like this bread need and the disciples are missing it. And then you've got Jesus talking about the Pharisees and Herod. Uh, and he's talking about leaven, leaven yeast. So there is a bread connection there. But then the disciples are just like, but we still have no bread. So what? So it's kind of weird. Um, you can see disciples are missing it a little bit. But one thing I want to point out is that why would Jesus kind of pull this, this statement out? Like he's, still, he's trying to teach them. He's noticing they're not getting it. And he's headed to the cross. There's not much time left. So he's trying to help these disciples understand. And he's like, you know what? Maybe if you're so obsessed with bread, maybe I can put this in terms that will help you. And so he's telling them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Now, you guys, if you've seen yeast added to dough, what happens when the yeast is added to dough? It expands, right? Yeah. It gets bigger. And the yeast impacts every bit of that dough, doesn't it? And it smells wonderful. It's really just, sorry, bread is wonderful. <laughs> but, but he's saying, beware. This, this additive, this leaven, when it is added to what I am saying, it infects everything, and it grows. And so it's interesting to me that he would specifically po uh, point out the Pharisees and the Herodians, those who followed Herod. And I think it was this. Uh, I don't, in the commentaries and things like that I've read, I'm, I'm thinking he's making this point. First of all, we have talked before, many of the Bible stories only focus on the 12 disciples. You know, we, we hear those stories. But there's actually tons, hundreds of disciples that are following Jesus. And more than likely, there are ex-Pharisees and ex-Herodians who are also following Jesus. And so I don't know if they're in the boat too, but maybe he's helping them to understand, hey, you've had this teaching, you've lived this life, and now you're trying to live the life of following me. Beware. Don't take those things and add it to what I'm saying. And now Jesus could have just been like, anybody who's not me, don't, don't do these things. But instead, he specifically calls out the Pharisees, who, if you remember, I told you earlier, were super focused on the law. They studied every single one of those words in Scripture, and they held onto that with a tight fist, and they ruled the Jewish people through those words. That's all that mattered to them. And then you've got the Herodians, who were following Herod, who were believing that if they could just get in positions of power, national power within the Roman occupation, maybe one day they might be able to overthrow the Roman government. So their focus was on power. And so Jesus, I believe here, is saying, listen, don't focus so much on the words and the text and understanding exactly what it means and then using that to basically beat other people over the head, make, create this division of I'm the right and you're the wrong. But also don't focus on getting power. I mean, it's interesting. Jesus could have easily created his own country. He didn't. Jesus could have easily rose to power in the Roman government. He didn't. Jesus is like, this is the way. 
do you understand? And of course, we know that the disciples don't because they're focused on bread still. Aware of this, he said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Don't you understand or comprehend? Do you have hardened hearts? Do you have eyes and you don't see? Do you have ears and you don't hear? And do you not remember? Now, our, our ancient hearers of this book would have seen Jesus making a tie here. We talked about it, what, the sandwich stories, uh, miracles that were before this main component involved what? Involved what? Ears and mouth, right? So Jesus is saying, are your ears not working? Are your eyes not working? Is your heart hardened? Are those the reasons why you can't understand? But the awesome part is, is that Jesus is the healer of broken eyes, broken ears, broken hearts. And so, again, the hearers are, are making these ties. So he tries to explain it to them. Tries to remind them. Remember, I broke the five loaves for the 5,000. How many baskets full of leftovers did you collect? Twelve, they told him. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets full of pieces did you collect? Seven, they said. So then he said, don't you get it? Here it is. I said all the things. Do you get it? And they're still, we'll find, they're, they're still struggling. There's some that's starting to get it, but they're still struggling. And so I just want to point out maybe something to take away from this passage is that Jesus is about an experience with him. All of those questions, let me see if I can go back. All of those questions are experience questions. Sorry, guys, this is my fault. You understand through experience. If it was just about the words, they would have gotten it already. They didn't. So it's not just about hearing. It's not just about seeing. Where's our hearts at? These are experiences. Jesus is inviting us to an experience with him. And so I wonder, um, when I'm thinking through these questions, kind of the things that I heard was, when I don't understand or comprehend, what assumptions or expectations am I bringing to Jesus in my need for him to, to heal or to fix or to help me understand? What assumptions and expect, expectations am I bringing? And then where's my heart at? Is it focused on the fact that I don't have bread? Or is it focused on what Jesus might want to take of what little I have and multiply to give away? What am I not seeing that Jesus wants me to see if I'm just right here in my own little world? What am I missing in the big picture? Who am I hearing? Who am I listening to that is not Jesus? Is it some cool-looking dude on the TV who sounds, who's reiterating all the things I want to hear about the scriptures? Or is it somebody who's challenging me to listen to Jesus? What did Jesus say? And how did Jesus live those words out? What's the experience there? And do you not remember? I think this is a really key component of this story is what do you remember? What are you sharing about what Jesus has done already? What experiences have you had already with Jesus? Now, I know there are some in this room who are like, I don't understand this Jesus thing. I don't get it yet. And, and that's great. That's okay. And in fact, I would love for you to ask those who you know are, who say that they're followers of Jesus, ask them, what experiences have they had? 
And what's cool, when we're in a diverse community, we're going to hear a thousand different stories about how we experience Jesus, which is only going to give us a greater picture and a greater understanding of what does this life look like to live and love like Jesus. Now, as we've gone through all of this, we've talked a lot about bread, and I believe that Jesus is making this connection again. I am the bread of life. These experiences with Jesus are what you need to sustain you, to be fulfilled, to be, live in abundance, is this experience with Jesus. What experiences are you having with Jesus? Now, we are going to do a transition to uh, practice communion this morning, which is just a perfect reminder after all. Uh, what we've been talking about. And I want to encourage you, we're going to take about a minute to reflect on what we've heard. And we, I'd encourage you to think about, if you're, if you're trying to figure out this Jesus thing, just maybe process what you've heard about Jesus today. If you, uh, if you have been following Jesus a long time, maybe think about those five questions. What am I not understanding? What am I missing, not seeing or hearing? Or maybe you need to, to spend some time reflecting on how you've seen Jesus in your life, what experiences you've had. Yeah, go ahead and grab those cups that are in front of you. Um, if you're new and you don't want to participate in communion, that is perfectly okay. You're, again, welcome to just reflect and kind of observe what is going on here. If you're online, go ahead and grab uh, some, something that represents the bread and the cup for you. Like I said, in about a minute, after kind of spending some time reflection, reflecting, we'll come back and we'll take communion together. of Mark, we find Jesus is um, with his disciples eating the last supper before he is betrayed. And his last teaching moment with his disciples, he says, he takes the bread, he breaks it, gives thanks. He says, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat in remembrance of me. In the same way, he takes the cup and he said, this is my blood of the new covenant. Drink in remembrance of me. Would you join me as I pray? Jesus, may we, may it sink into our souls, into our very being, that you are the bread of life. the very sustenance that we need every single day. 
that you show us how to connect with the Father in day in and day out, every moment of every day. I pray that you would remind us, help us to remember how we've experienced you, help us to see all the ways that you are working around us, even if it doesn't make sense. Help us to hear your words and know how to live them out, how to share them with others in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you. Thank you that you don't give up. You constantly are working towards our understanding. In your name, amen.